0: If you're set up to believe that every person retires at 65 with a large bank account and gets to enjoy their golden years in a beautifully sunny place, and you get to 65 and you do not have that experience, your bank account's empty, you have to go back to work, and you're in some kind of frigid climate, you're going to feel terrible. Again, these aren't things that are objective. They are totally subjective. We're not born to feel these, these feelings about college or retirement. We are, we are formed to feel these things. Hey friends, welcome to
1: the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called Life on Life Discipleship, where we provide you with personal coaching and equipping on your journey to taking on apprentices to multiply disciples. So to learn more about this coaching intensive, visit 1kh.org discipleship and If you're interested in learning more about A Thousand Houses in general and want to check out some of our other resources, head on over to 1kh.org. Let's jump into
0: today's episode. Shortly after the end of the French Revolution, a journalist came up to one of the leaders, especially one of the leaders of the military uh, during the French Revolution that was involved in so much bloodshed, and said, hey, as you look back on all that's happened over the last couple of decades, uh, would you have done anything differently? especially given how many, people, uh, were, how many people lost their lives in this, uh, in this revolution. And his answer uh, was fascinating. He said, if I had to go back and do it all over again, I would have told a better story. One of the things that revolution, revolutionaries have discovered is that if you tell a better story, you can create a revolution without bloodshed. And this is essentially what's at the heart of Christianity. We believe a story that can transform whole nations all the way down to the human heart without coercion, without getting involved in forcing them through political power um, and through violence to do uh, the things that King wants them to do. And this makes the stories that we're telling a really critical part of disciple-making. We need to understand how story-formed people are, and use that in such a way that we see transformation from the inside out, exposing those we are discipling to a better story. And so we want to talk about the connection between story and discipleship, and in this video specifically, that every person is already story formed, and that we need to understand that about the people that we're discipling, so that we're working with the stories that can transform them, instead of being constantly broadsided By worldly stories that are really shaping the people we're discipling in the wrong direction. And so part of what we want to understand is, first of all, just the power of story, especially with regards to the way that the scriptures talk about story. And it's important to understand that there are different kinds of story in scriptures. The, The stories of scriptures are really nested, and there are some that are really micro. And so an example of a micro story is when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. That story is so powerful that uh, the world has not recovered from Jesus telling that story. What he said about the relationship between the Good Samaritan and the person that he was helping, the fact that he made the the racially despised person the hero in the story, that has done more to counter-racism than probably any other single thing in the history of the last 2,000 years. Or if you consider the macro story, which is, if you pull all the way back and think about what is the big story of the Bible, how is that story really constructed? The way that that story really moves us from being created in the image of God through the fall and then to looking at at the Son of God who's hanging on a cross, dying for his enemies, resurrecting from the dead and, and having victory over those powers and then ultimately coming back, that story is so powerful that it can totally transform somebody's life. And we have to be using the kinds of things that that the gospel gives us in order to see real deep transformation happen in the lives of the people we're discipling. And I don't know of a more powerful tool than this one. Um, than really making sure that we are immersed in both the macro story of the Bible and also the micro stories that exist inside of Scripture and in the Gospels themselves. There's a quote that's going around uh, that I've heard a few times recently, um, and it's it's attributed to this French navigator, which I, I find really a beautiful way of describing this. He says, If you wish to build a ship, do not divide the men into teams and send them to the forest to cut wood. Instead, teach them to long for the vast and endless sea. He's saying, if you give people just a list of things to do, and I've seen so many discipleship programs that that are like this. Okay, this is how you're going to start praying. This is how you're going to start spending time with the Lord. It's just sort of a checklist or a task list. It doesn't actually do transformative work. How do you cause somebody to long for what the, what the Bible describes that we ought to be longing for. One of the things that the Gospel says is, is that Jesus is going to come back for all of those who long for his appearing. And that is they're so immersed in this story that when they think about their lives, they see that the, its culmination, its climax, is the second coming of Jesus. Those are the people that Jesus describes as saved and that he's coming back to rescue. Um, how do you form a disciple who, who feels that way, who thinks that way? And that is really the process of immersing them in the story of Scripture. And so we want to make sure that we are using uh, tools that that give us th- those kinds of access to those stories, and this is also the the uh, the thing that really transformed and uh, and really captured the the heart of C.S. Lewis. The, the, actually, the best-selling author of the entire 20th century is C.S. Lewis. He's, he, he sold over 80 million copies of his books. No one else has done that in the entire 20th century. And he was transformed in a conversation he had with Tolkien about the nature of the story of the Bible. He was an atheist, and he, he, he considers himself or he describes himself in his biography as the most reluctant convert in all of England. He was compelled by the beauty of the story. To, to come to faith in Jesus and one of the things I find interesting about his, uh, his story of his life is that, that because I, he was this, the idea of the story of scripture was so compelling to him and, and was seated so deep, that is what created so much of what he wrote that had such an incredible impact on the 20th century and beyond. And so it's very difficult to underestimate the power of this tool when we are talking about uh, transformations of people's lives. I want to give you five quick examples of how all of us are story formed and, and how this works in somebody's life and how it, kind of, how it impacts their heart. So the first one, um, and this is one that I think is often mysterious to people, but it's very important to understand, is that moral intuitions are story formed. When you see something um, and you're like, ooh, that felt weird, that felt off, that doesn't feel right, that's, that feels wrong, that's unjust, we oftentimes believe that these kinds of reactions are spontaneously erupting inside of us, coming from some deep and mysterious place within us. Now I do think that God places within us a moral sort of conscience, but it's interesting that as sociologists have looked at different cultures and seen cultures that are shaped by different stories, they've noticed that, that, that the stories have an ability to really go in and form that conscious reaction to so many different things. And so an example is that in, in the Roman world, um, crucifixion was extremely common, and as, as historians have talked about, um, there's a, there was a place right outside of Rome where they would daily crucify slaves, and there was no writing, there was no movement within the Roman world that felt sorry for those slaves at all because there were stories that were being told inside of Roman culture that said that those people are not like us at all, They are subhuman, we don't have to feel sorry for them. And so because of that, the Romans had a very different set of moral intuitions about crucifixion. They had a completely different set of moral intuitions around infants. Um, The infanticide in the Roman world was extremely common. And in every Roman household, the the patras familia, the father of the house, had the ability to decide if that child was going to live or die. And if he decided they are going to die, they simply left that infant out, and and they would die, and the, the household uh, people in the household uh, would often not feel badly about this crying, dying infant. How could that happen? You could like ask, "Ooh, man, isn't it just natural or normal for us to all have a moral intuition and be horrified at that?" Again, yes, in our culture, because we're all shaped by the stories of the Gospels. That the Gospel story, at its center, is that the is that we need to care for the victim. That is what we look. That's what that's how the story of the crucifixion really transformed the moral intuitions of an entire culture. Um, because if you look at cultures that were not impacted by that story, but, 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 but by other stories that said, no, no, it's really important that the strong survive and the weak die if our tribe is going to succeed. If we were formed by those stories, we'd have very different intuitions about slaves being crucified or infants dying of exposure. But we have, we have a completely um, gospel-saturated set of moral intuitions in our culture, and we don't realize it but that just demonstrates the, how powerful uh, stories are. The second example of how critical and how powerfully uh, transformative stories are is, that, is vision. The way that we think about the good life or the future and how, how, we, how we envision what we're su- supposed to do in the future, um, those kinds of things are really driven by stories. And so if you're constantly immersed in the story that every single person that is successful goes to college, you're going to feel terrible if you get to 18 or 19 years old and you can't get into a college, right? If you, if you have, if you're set up to believe that, that, every person retires at 65 with a large bank account and gets to enjoy their golden years in a beautifully sunny place, and you get to 65 and you do not have that experience, your bank account's empty, you have to go back to work, and you're in some kind of frigid climate, you're gonna feel terrible. Again, these aren't things that are objective. They are totally subjective. We're not born to feel these these feelings about college or retirement. We are, we are formed to feel these things because there's a particular vision that we're given by the stories that we believe. And also the story of the Bible says something very specific about the future. Some people believe that, that the way that this, the story of the Bible ends is with more and more disciples being made such that they take over countries, disciple nations, they, these disciples uh, gain incredible political power in those nations, and then Jesus returns as a triumphant king over a completely discipled um, planet Earth, where the nations are now obedient to the king. Um, that's one story. There's also another eschatology that says that there's a constant collision and a strengthening of both the kingdom of God and our enemy, and that as these two, uh, these two, these two kingdoms get more and more powerful, Um, they will begin to collide and fight and war with one another, that ultimately the kingdom of darkness is going to begin to, through violence, overcome uh, the kingdom of God. And in the midst of that, Jesus is going to return um, and judge those who have been um, attacking uh, his kingdom on the earth. And then from there, he will establish his reign. Those are very different stories, but it's really important to understand that the vision that creates for your life is totally different. I mean, if I believe the first story, I'm going to be very involved in the process of, uh, of of politics and really trying to figure out, okay, how do we organize in such a fashion that we really gain control or power over over our different locations, over our different regions and countries and states and cities. If I believe this story, I'm going to be building. Uh, incredibly, or uh, strengthening outposts of making sure that we can withstand uh, seasons of persecution or times of trouble that are coming. I'm going to be looking for places where those hot spots might emerge, where when the this, this kingdom of darkness really becomes more and more powerful, um, we're there to love and support and and get behind uh, our brothers and sisters who are going to inevitably go through the worst of that kind of persecution. These are just different stories. It's just important to understand that that stories really impact the way that we think about vision. Now. Stories even impact very small things, and a lot of people don't understand this. Even the way that we, we experience emotions at a very sort of minute-by-minute minute level uh, are deeply story-formed. And My favorite story about how that really unveils this is, is something that Stephen Covey wrote about in his book uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he described being on a subway one day, and on that subway um, they stopped, and this group of three children got on with their father, and the subway, before the children got on there, was a fairly peaceful place. Everyone was kind of quiet. Everyone, you know, People were reading newspapers. This was back in the day when that was done. And these kids were running around and just like literally smashing people's newspapers out of their hands. And uh, Stephen Covey looked at the father, and he just was staring into space, letting his children create massive chaos uh, on this subway. And so Stephen Covey sort of went over there and just sort of like nudged this father and said, hey. Um, do you mind doing something about your kids? They're they're really causing a huge amount of chaos here. And the father looked up as if to notice the scene for the first time. And the father says, "Oh, well, we just got back from the hospital, and their mother died, and um, they don't know how to deal with it. And I guess I don't either." Now Stephen Covey describes what went on in what on, what went on inside of him at that moment, which was that. He was he went from being angry very angry and frustrated to being instantly empathetic, compassionate, having zero anger. He didn't have to count to 10. <laughs> he didn't have to like think through anything. What the only one thing changed, the story changed. And once the characters in the story were transformed in an instant, all of his emotions changed instantly. That is the power of story. Like, stories transform the way we feel and the way we interpret events so dramatically that our emotions are instantaneously transformed when the story changes. Um, And that is really useful to know. A fourth uh, power of story is the power that communities have in being formed around stories. And so we we are seeing this uh, now more than ever, that people are obsessed with their affinity groups in our culture, and those affinity groups are always story-formed. There's something that they believe about the good life. They're, they're nerding out or about, you know, this kind of set of movies or these different ideas. They're into sports. Why? There's something that they believe about the story of the world in which that those sports, those heroes that are on the field doing awesome things, that that, that attracts them as a community. And so the people that are getting around, you know, various subcultures in our culture are being driven and interested in stories. Political groups that get together are that way, cliques. Are that way? All of these little subcultures and affinity groups, if you look at them, whether it's music or the arts, any of them, there's at the base, there's a similar story they're beginning to believe, and that story is really what is draw, drawing that community together in a special way. And so, when people begin to believe different stories, they begin to make relationships in alignment with the stories that they believe. So, those are just a few examples. There's so many other examples for how powerful story is in transforming us from the inside out. And this is why the Bible is so so into story. So, um, we're going to talk more and more about, about this topic and how to use this in the, in the in the formation of disciples. But I really think it's important for you guys just to understand, just to take back and, and uh, take a step back and look at how powerful uh, stories are. And uh, we need to be aware of this in the life of, our, of the people we're discipling. So um, uh, think through, uh, first of all, like, how much are you aware of your own um, experience of, as being story formed? Like, are you aware of the stories that, that are forming you? Uh, what are the stories that have attracted you over the years? What are the stories you were really taught as a child growing up about the good life, or you know the biblical stories, or the worldly stories, or the or the fictional stories, the mythological stories that have really shaped you? Um, and have do you have access to tools that will help you use story to really shape um, those you are um, you are bringing into your life as as some of your disciples? So we're going to talk about some of those tools, but do you have any tools that you've utilized that have done that in a powerful way? So um, we we want to really think about this topic and be aware and also skilled at the use of story uh, in the lives of those that we're discipling. Well,
1: friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a deep desire to actually make disciples in your context, but you simply don't know how. We'd love to invite you to apply for our coaching intensive called Life on Life Discipleship, where you're going to work through online content and receive personal coaching on this journey to making disciples that multiply. So for more information and to apply for this coaching, head over to 1kh.org discipleship. We'll see you for the next episode.